on this week's episode of Ness and Celtics podcast. Why the C's four game winning streak doesn't have all of us impressed is Harrison Barnes, the missing piece of the Celtics championship puzzle. Plus we'll share our favorite Paul Pierce moments as the truth is named a finalist for the basketball hall of fame. the Nesson Celtics podcast. We finally made it to the all-star break, but this league never sleeps. We're checking back in today after watching the Celtics close out four straight wins, most recently over the Clippers and a shorthanded Raptors team. But Boston's been linked to a handful of players ahead of the March 25th trade deadline. We're going to get into all that for you guys as we assess the first half of the Celtics season thus far. I'm your host, Alex Francisco, here with Dakota Randall and Adam London. How are we guys? I'm good. I feel like it's the first episode in a while where we haven't been just preaching doomsday. It's, it seems like the first time since the first episode almost, but yeah. Oh, I am. Well, don't, I was going to say. Don't speak too soon for Dak, n- but. Nice little win streak for the Seas going into the All-Star break, so some positives to look at, but uh, yeah, I'm sure Dak will find some some negative things to uncover. Um, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I'm in a great mood today because it's mid-50s here in uh in rhode island and just generally a, a great week of weather in the northeast which we've all needed um that said i still am very much down on the celtics i'm not going to allow a six point win over the pacers barely beating the washington wizards what i would consider an unconvincing win over the clippers uh and beating the giving up 125 points to the raptors i'm not going to consider that a, a course you know the, the celtics finding themselves or or you know becoming who we think they, they should be or anything like that. I need to see a little bit more because um, I still think there was enough in all those games uh, to remind you of, uh, you know, why this team uh, really isn't close to being a title contender. All right. But we're, we're going to start with the positive stack. So do you have any to contribute? Uh, well, y- yes. I mean, and it, because, because we're at the, you know, we've basically reached the unofficial first half point of the season. Um, you know, I'm trying. I'm thinking big picture here in terms of a first half assessment. Um, I think the development of Robert Williams has been really encouraging over the past few weeks. Um, I still have many doubts about Robert Williams. I know Adam, you do as well. I believe it early on in the season you had a take where you think or you said that Robert Robert Williams just never will be a useful NBA player, and I, I still worry about that being the case too, simply because he's had trouble staying on the court, and if he can't develop anything resembling a consistent you know, mid-range to outside shot. How useful are you really in the NBA? That said, uh, I've really liked his effort over the past couple of weeks. Uh, he, he plays with a lot of energy. He brings something to the Celtics uh, really neat, you know, sorely need uh, and don't ha- really get from anywhere else in the roster. Um, and when he's been in there, he's been a legitimate difference maker. So I just think if he can keep this up and if he can stay healthy, um, you know, I'm starting to maybe believe in Robert Williams a little bit. Um, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I think the way he's played over the past two to three weeks uh, is really encouraging. And, you know, the Celtics uh, have, you know, basically said as much. Brad Stevens has been really high on Robert Williams over the past couple of weeks. So, you know, I am as well. Yeah, I think these next couple games after the All-Star, after they return from the break are going to be telling because I remember hearing some stat that I think it was the game against the Clippers marked the first game time in Williams' career that he played and I think it was 11 straight games. Like the fact that it took him into his third NBA season to play more than 10 games in a row is, is pretty bonkers. But right. uh, he has shown some signs. 
for my positive, I'm going to go big picture as well. And I know this is really boring, but I still think it's worth highlighting. It's just that Jalen Brown has leveled up and, and then some. I think since Tatum has come on as, you know, a legitimate MVP type player, Celtics fans and just the basketball world in general just kind of viewed um, Jalen Brown as Tatum's Robin, where I think now we're looking at more of a 1A, 1B type situation. And it goes beyond his play on the court. We've talked about it many times that he's established himself as this team's leader, kind of the voice of reason. He's not afraid to shoulder the blame when things are tough. You know, he's kind of been a guiding light during these uh, tough times the Celtics have had during the season. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone saw him progressing this much this quickly. So uh, pleasantly surprised with where Jalen Brown's at right now. Yeah, I think what I'm taking out of this first half of the season for all the issues they've had kind of going along the same lines of what you just said about all the issues they've had is, I mean, Kemba, Kemba Walker apparently as revealed by Brad Stevens the other night said that Kemba kept telling this team during their rut, no one goes on break till we go on break. And they really lived up to that. So for all their issues, it was really promising to see them kind of rally together and like, yeah ugly four wins like in some way shape or form you can critique each and every one of them but I mean they close out games that actually matter and down the stretch right so how many times have we sat here on this podcast and saying like they have to find a way to win these stupid close games down the stretch and they finally did so um I, it feels like everyone during this last stretch of right here before the break really stepped it up even down to Jeff Teague so that was really a promising way I think to end off the first half of the season agreed yeah I mean you we've talked about it many times this team often just crumbles in the second half usually it's the third but we've seen some fourth quarter fourth quarter meltdowns as well so the fact they're able to buckle down and it was with different people we saw it was Kemba one time it was it's been Tatum a couple times so yeah, getting contributions for your best guys in the biggest moments has been a good sign. Yeah, I will. You know, again, as I said before, I still found a lot to be concerned about in those games, especially some of them. They shouldn't have been nearly as close as they were, though. I do think that that Raptors game, I couldn't quite tell if that was the Celtics defense playing poorly or if it was just one of those nights when Toronto just couldn't miss anything from beyond the arc. That stuff kind of happens sometimes. Maybe it was just a little bit of both, um, but you know, to you play off what you said, Alex, it's just a positive spin. You know, I think you should, ultimately we should be encouraged that, you know, going into that four game stretch, especially with the Celtics having the, uh, the, the Nets, the Rockets and the Jazz right after the All-Star break, we looked at that and said, you know, wow, if they drop three or four or even two or four here before the break and come out and lose a couple more. I mean, your season's kaput, could be kaput. Um, and it was, you know, the, everyone, the, they challenged themselves, the town really challenged them to have, to, to win those four games because they really needed to. And they did, you know, so to a certain point, it doesn't matter what it looked like. They just needed those victories and they got them. And uh, like you said, I thought Kemba's leadership, uh, you know, helped in that regard. And I thought he played really well. So, you know, it, it's, it's not all bad as I insinuated. I do acknowledge that uh, there is, there was a lot of good that came out of those games too. Yeah. It's not all bad, but there's like a lot of bad. So <laughs> Adam, yeah. what is, what are your biggest concerns here? Uh, I'm going to go big picture for the concerns as well. And this one can be uh, a bit of a precursor into our trade deadline preview. 
but the depth of this team still remains a pretty big issue. Um, no disrespect to Marcus Smart, but I think it's pretty concerning how much you're talking about, like how significant it is that you're missing Marcus Smart. Like he shouldn't be kind of like the linchpin of sorts of whether or not you're an actual NBA Finals contender. Especially when we've already established that Marcus Smart stinks. Well, you've established You've that. established uh, that. <laughs> Don't loop us into that. I, I just can't see. I'm a stan. I just can't see this team going very far unless, you know, Brown and Tatum both go bonkers every game. And I know that's something you can maybe expect from those guys, but I, Tatum's been a little inconsistent. Brown, you know, has been a little more, but it's still a big ask. I just don't know where you're getting the secondary scoring from. Because, I mean, if you look at some of their biggest wins this season, you know, really convincing victories, it's been, you know, we've seen kind of fluky performances from guys that you can't really expect much from regularly. Like, you're not going to get 20 points from Shemi Ojale regularly in the playoffs. Like, that's just not happening. Jeff Teague is Jeff Teague. I mean, we've complained about him so much. Like, Pritchard's more of just kind of like a – you know, you want him ideally to be like your, what, eighth or ninth best option. So unless they, you know, they make some type of a splash at the deadline, I'm not sure, you know, if this team has the depth to make a deep run. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and for my negative, I'm going big picture as well. Uh, first of all, I'm going to preface this, preface this by saying that I, J- Jason Tatum is 23, and ultimately I do believe he, he's going to further develop and, and become an even better player than we see now. That said – I am starting to wonder a little bit, is he plateauing? Like how much better can he be? And again, I don't want to get too caught up in one first half of basketball when the Celtics have struggled through some of it and there's still fans in the stands and all that. But I look at, you know, just look at the stats. Last season, Tatum averaged 23.4 points per game. This season, 24.9. Okay, so up. But uh, steals the exact same. Assists, he's up one assist. Rebounds, basically the same. Uh, free throw percentage around the same, uh, three point percentage worse, field goal percentage worse. And I think, I also think his defense has taken a step back this season. So again, maybe that's just a product of the Celtic season as a whole, but I just think it's been kind of a disappointing season for Jason Tatum to this point, just with, you know, considering the, the jump that he took last year, I think a lot of us going into this year thought, wow, if he can take the, the next leap beyond that, the Celtics really have something. And I still think he could take that leap. I just, we haven't seen it so far this season. Um, and in some ways, I think he's been worse this year than he was last year. And I think that's frustrating. And even in these past four games, we saw it. I, I think he's just been inconsistent at times. I mean, in that four game stretch before the All-Star break, he only scored nine points against Indiana. Then he scored 31 against Washington, but only 14 against Los Angeles while shooting five to 16 from the field, then 27 against Toronto. So he's kind of been all over the place. And again, that might just be he's, he's been inconsistent and he's kind of struggled here and there, or it could be maybe he's plateauing and his ceiling isn't as high as we thought it was. So I don't know. I just, I'm just starting to think about it a little bit and it is, you know, it's, it's been kind of concerning for me. Yeah. Well, I guess what I would say to that is there's something to be said about him being on the record. One of the players, you know, I had COVID this year and he's been pretty open and honest with how it's impacted him. Um, which we've discussed. So I think for that reason alone, I'm not really ready. Also the fact that he's averaging, um, like he's getting a lot of usage right now, right? Like 35.8 minutes per game. Um, Having, yes, missed some time, but 
I just think between him and Jalen, they've had to take on so much this season. And with the short turnaround from the bubble, like, I just think those two dudes are gassed. And um, I think that's why, like, this whole last four stretch, I don't think either of them had, like, particularly a great stretch the last four games. But I'm willing to look past it for now, and I'm going to – I think I'm more willing to critique him on how he bounces back in the second half of the season than how he puts it all together because I just think this – and not only for the Celtics, but people on every team, like this first half of the season has just been a grind. And I don't know. I guess the thing I'm most concerned about right now is just the defense. And that, again, could be with how shorthanded they were and how tired everyone is. But the defense is atrocious, and it's uncharacteristic for this team right now. And I think the most telling thing was will be when they get healthy, ideally if they get healthy. Right. Um, so we can further assess this. Yeah, I know. And I, I agree with you. Just one more, one quick point on Tatum. Um, I, I do. I, I believe, I, I think you're right in some of what you're saying that I think it's, it's been a grind of a first half. I think for all teams, it's been a grind. I think the load on him and, uh, and Jalen Brown has been huge. And so I do think that definitely plays into it. I personally don't buy the COVID excuse. I think his numbers before the COVID absence basically mirrored what they've been since then. I think it was just a convenient reason. Um, I'm not buying it. You know, maybe, maybe it's true. I don't know. Um, but I, I do think there is definitely something to be said for just the way the grind of this of this first half and and yeah how much him and Jalen Brown have had to shoulder the load because Kemba Walker hasn't been able to be that third piece uh, haven't hasn't been able to be that third piece of the big three that they need him to be maybe he's starting to come back into that we'll have to see um, but yeah definitely the the huge load on on him and Brown um, has played a big role but uh and then yeah as you said I agree the defense probably the worst part about the most disappointing part of this team in the first half. Yeah, I mean, and even if all things were firing for them, would it even matter? Because it's really seeming like all things are going to go through the Brooklyn Nets in the East. Um, I felt that way since they added Harden, but probably the biggest news over, some of the biggest news over the the, uh, All-Star weekend was that Blake Griffin got bought out by the Detroit Pistons, wanted to go to the Nets, of course, that's how things have seemingly played out. Uh, what do you guys think of this news? I know he was linked to the Celtics too. It seems like everyone's been linked to the Celtics the last few, the last week or so. We'll get the, into that too. But um, you guys' reaction from all that? Uh, I I didn't really think too much of the Blake signing just because I think the significance with that one specifically is more a name than it is an actual like potential production. I think Blake Griffin's borderline a shell of himself. Now I could end up having egg on my face. Cause like it probably is stuff to stay motivated in Detroit playing on that garbage team. And he might, you know, look re-energized with the nets. But again, it seems like he's going to just be more of like, you know, like a tool type player with the Nets as far as someone they're looking for, like consistent impact. He's not a very good defender anymore. He's really like, he's become more of like an 18 and out shooter. Like he can't, like, I think we said I recently that he hasn't dunked in like two years. Like that used to be Blake Griffin's game, obviously. Um, he'll help. That's I mean, insane it, to me. I still can't believe that. Yeah. It's just help. like today's NBA though. Like yeah. 
there's something to be said about like, yeah, he's lost, I think, a ton of his athleticism since his injury, but there's something to be said about how his skill, I think he's gotten a lot more skilled since then. And right. um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think he, I don't subscribe that to the fact that he's completely washed. Um, I think his best days are definitely behind him. And I mean, he's never going to be able to account for the athleticism he had, but I think that he could be a good piece. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in the middle. I think he's, I don't think he's completely washed. I think he's, he's sneaky washed, if that makes any sense. Uh, you know, but uh, so I'm kind of with Adam where I don't, I, I, I agree that it's more in name than it is actual effect, like impact uh, than bringing in Blake Griffin. Cause I don't think there's really, I don't, I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but at the same time, if Blake Griffin is your fourth or even fifth most important player on your roster, that's obviously a good thing and bad. maybe the maybe the reduced role and and having to carry less of a load uh, will sort of give him you know new life uh give him kind of a kick in the rear um and maybe you know maybe just the fact that he now thinks well i have a real shot at, at getting a title finally like he probably never thought he'd be able to do it again um you know that could rejuvenate him too and, and maybe we just see a big second half from him so I, I think that's totally in the cards um but i also on the nets like We'll, we'll have to see how it looks in the playoffs. Like, yeah, they, they have a ton of talent and they should, they should win the NBA finals as far as I'm concerned, but I'm not putting it past Kyrie Irving to completely ruin this thing or James Harden to just completely suck in the playoffs or for Blake Griffin to not work out. The whole team doesn't play any defense. Um, so well, that's the biggest yeah. thing. That's the biggest thing is that like teams know that realistically, if we have a good shooting night, we can beat you because you guys, it's like, so that's why I'm thinking Griffin, maybe if his, if he's not completely washed, like I, I like to think he's not, I think it'll help them a little bit in that sense. Yeah. I also just, and I, this is a totally different conversation. I don't want to go to go too far down this rabbit hole, but it's just, it's, it just stinks that this like continues to happen in the NBA, like that these, you know, and, and I don't necessarily blame Blake Griffin because if I were him, I'd probably go to the Nets too, but just that these, all these guys conspired to build this seemingly unstoppable force. And just like, no matter what, if they win the NBA finals, like, is anybody going to look like, look back on it and care or, or even like Marvel at it or respect it or anything. They'll all just say, well, you just completely, you just created this like, superhuman team and of course you won so like i guess if, if that's what they want great but like for me i look at it and go well I, i'm not really gonna think too highly of you if you end up winning it and it just it kind of it just stinks that this continues to be a thing that you know i under i'm, I'm pro player I, I like that the players have taken some control in that league but i just do think it's gotten to a point where it's kind of ruining it for the fan i agree to an extent but at the same time you look back i don't know 20 25 years and every championship team save for maybe one or two has at least like two superstar superstars right and but how can... is the built you know because like you could argue this thing was built on kevin durant getting getting whiny about the way he was treated in golden state and just barging out of there kyrie irving screwing over the celtics james harden eating his way out of Houston and just ruining that franchise and just turning his back on them. And then, yeah, now they all three are there. So they just bring in Blake Griffin because he gets bought out and he's the top free agent on the market. Like, I think the way it's constructed matters. Like, I don't think this is nearly well, analogous to what the Celtics did. 
Oh, I think they're all homies, though. They're all friends. I do think social media also factors in this, too, because the fans helped make the James Harden stuff situation such a big deal. Like, obviously, LeBron, Chris Bosh, and D. Wade conspired that for a long time. But, I mean, it was just kept somewhat more under wraps because it wasn't so easy to talk about it, like, like as quickly as we are now. Yeah. You know, thing. So, I don't know. I just the, – the people act like the idea of – forming super teams and stuff like that is this like new age development or it's it's been going on for some time now i don't yeah well it's it's i don't necessarily fault the teams like i don't blame the warriors for signing kevin durant you know i blame kevin durant for taking the absolute easiest way out you know what i mean and i just like i just i ultimately think it's the way the thing comes together matters and especially like if it's done in free agency the i, I mean it's different like with the celtics they did a, a fair draft night trade. They traded the number five pick for Ray Allen. They already had Paul Pierce in house and Kevin Durant or Kevin Garnett didn't even want to come here. And we had to trade all the assets we had compiled over the previous few years to get Kevin Garnett. And, and even that, like, yeah, you, you know, then you look at the Celtics and say, well, what have you won outside of that lightning in a bottle a few years? What have you done since Larry Bird? And the answer is nothing. Um, but I still think that's a different situation than what we've seen you know, what we saw in LA with LeBron just leaving the Cavs a second time and Anthony Davis just forcing his way out of New Orleans and what we're seeing now in Brooklyn, like, I don't know. It just, like, if I was a fan of a team that, like the Hawks or something, I would just be so disheartened all the time because I just know. Or I would just say, hey, maybe that will be my team sometime over the next 30 years. And I'll get to be really psyched for like two and a half years. (laughs) Okay, so we know that you're not very into the... (laughs) I guess team building via free agency, but uh, a lot to discuss via trade in terms of the Celtics. In addition to Blake Griffin, they're linked to Jeremy Grant, um, Nikola Vucevic, um, Harrison Barnes is the latest name. I heard via Chris Mannix in a Sports Illustrated column this morning. I know Scal, Brian Scalabrini has thrown that name many times around as well, saying that Really, any other name that's mentioned is just smoke and mirrors because the Celtics want Harrison Barnes. What do you guys think of that? I mean, I think Harrison Barnes obviously is the most realistic uh, fit among those players we mentioned. I would love Jeremy Grant, obviously. He's having a career season. He can guard every position. Uh, He's pretty gifted offensively. He's, He's improving with each passing year, which you love to see with a player, but it does seem like that Detroit probably wants him to be like the guy they're building around as they rebuild. Um, Vucevic would be great too. You're talking shooting and size, but Orlando seems, you know, pretty hell bent on keeping him around unless you present them with a Godfather offer. I like the Barnes fit just because it's a three and D guy who's really not going to disrupt anything. It seems like a guy you can plug in right away. He'll help out uh, championship pedigree. So, you know, if they can give, acquire him without giving up too much I think that's a definitely a worthwhile move yeah I'm with Adam I think Harrison Barnes makes a ton of sense is exactly what they need um professional to uh championship pedigree um it's very consistent player like it's looking at his basketball reference page I mean he's insanely consistent um I also if you had to guess how old do you think Harrison Barnes is um 28 Jeez, well, never mind. I was gonna say I would have thought like 32. He is 28. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so never mind. But I was gonna say he's way younger than I thought he was. Um, I mean, 
Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. The weird, the weirdest one with that that I I still can't believe is true is I think Andre Drummond's like 27. He's been in the league for 20 years. I don't know how he's he's 27. Yeah, the fact that he's such a throwback makes him feel like he's 40. Right. Yeah. He looks a lot older than he is too. Yeah. There. Yeah. Um, um, I guess my thoughts on Barnes, like, I'm just so meh by this. Like, I think he's the probably the nicest guy in the world and super versatile, but. Uh, I don't know. It kind of ends there for me. Like I'm just straight on paying him like 20 million for the next three years. I would say, I I don't know. I'm still like him holding down on what we were talking about last week with the TPE and just ho- holding out till the off season. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I don't know. It's also like, what, what is your goal by getting Harrison Barnes? Like, yeah, like it just doesn't, it's, it's just like, it's like, what else are you going to do then? If you're going to do that this year, then what else? Yeah, like for me, he would be like, it's like when we had when the Celtics had James Posey in 2008, but maybe like a slightly a, a better version of that. But it's like he would be an awesome piece if your team was that good. But I don't think they're that good, so I just don't like. I'm with you. I would just hold off. And like, I know it sucks for everyone, and we all want fireworks at the trade deadline, but I'd wait and use the uh, trade exception in the off season too. Just because I don't think Harrison Barnes gets you where, where you need to be. So, but maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe I'm just underselling Harrison Barnes because I never get to really watch him that often. Right. So before we close out the show, uh, we got it. I mean, it's the all-star game. So, I mean, take that with who cares, right? But, I mean, we had Jalen Brown and JT playing in it. Um, so we'll close off with some some reaction to that and some around the NBA stuff. Me personally, I liked how the dunk contest was at halftime, and I think that the NBA should switch to that, even though I know they won't because they're going to want to drag it out. But it was just – it gets so boring, right? So I think that if they can lure people back in at halftime with that, they should stick with that. Yeah, uh, I agree. I thought – I did like the format. There's 0% chance them doing that because they make way more money if they stretch this thing out over a full weekend. Um, but I did like that because, and, and honestly, I think I liked it because I just am totally not interested in the NBA's all-star product as a whole. I think the skills competition is stupid. I think the three-point competition is cool, but the dunk contest more often than not sucks. And the game is atrocious. The game absolutely stinks and it's a terrible product. It gets more and more useless every year. It's just a slight notch above the Pro Bowl. And that's not, you know, that, and that's obviously a very low bar. Um, so yeah, if I could get it all done in one night, if I had to watch it, that would be great. Uh, but you know, realistically, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, my only thought on the dunk contest was I saw a lot of fans clamoring for bigger name players like Zion. I know Jalen had some buzz about getting in the dunk contest. Um, any guy that chose not to do it, I thought was a hundred percent, right. If you're going to do it and you haven't done it before, you want it to be in a packed arena where there's you know, a ton of fans feed off the energy. You don't want to do it, you know, in a crick gym where you're getting crickets after you do like an insane dunk. True. Um, But I did think the format was pretty cool. It keeps the fans plugged in. Uh, I don't mind the game so much. I think it's like, I still think it's cool watching guys shoot from like 50 feet. Like why not? Um, So I'm probably going to continue to watch it up here. I did have a one moment in the game Celtics related that made me laugh was uh, the part where Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown played one-on-one against each other. I loved how that thing ended with 
Jason Tatum fouling Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum complaining to the referee as he always does. And then Jay, and then Jalen Brown front rimming a free throw. I was like, that is, that is poetic perfect. justice. Yeah. That is just the, the full Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum experience. Uh, Cause then it fought, then they followed that up by Tatum getting a huge fast break dunk and Jalen Brown getting some ridiculous three from the corner. So I'm like, this is all very on brand. And uh, yeah, one quick um, NBA note before we wrap up. Uh, Celtics legend Paul Pierce is a finalist for the Basketball Hall of Fame. Obviously well-deserved if he gets in. And just seeing that note kind of made me start thinking about all the great Paul Pierce moments in Boston. Uh, the one for me that stick out, obviously that showdown with LeBron in the uh, 08 conference finals. That was just, I mean, you like, Nothing gets me more hyped than when just two of the best players. It's just one-on-one, -on -one, back and forth, just basketball at its finest. And then the other one, um, I feel like I see it pop up all the time, is which when he stuck that three in Al Harrington's eye. Like, that wasn't even a great Celtics yeah. team. It was just a great, Paul, like, cool Paul Pierce moment, especially with the Mike Gorman call. So that's always going to be a favorite one of mine. Yeah, man. There are so many. Um, if I if I can't pick him literally pooping his pants in the NBA Finals, oh, you pick mine. <laughs> uh, uh, then I'm probably going to go with the 2002 Eastern Conference Finals. I think it was 2002 against the Nets. Um, I was 11, 12 at the time. And uh, I remember watching that game uh, in my then house up in New Hampshire. And I turned it off because the Celtics were getting waxed. Um, and then, you know, my grandfather was like outside and he yelled up to me and he's you know freaking out that the Celtics ended up coming back or were about to take the lead and I turned it on and watched you know that Antoine Marker yelling at Paul Pierce and Paul Pierce going nuts at the end to win that game and it's just like my first real like Celtics playoff moment as a fan you know really getting into Paul Pierce and the whole thing and uh you know hooked me and not to not to tuck our strings or anything like that but that just like was my first Paul Pierce memory. So it's always kind of been my favorite. And then, yeah, the Al Harrington one is pretty cool. That's, that's a funny one. Just because the way he was talking trash was hilarious. And I wish the NBA was still like that because it's just coward trash talking now. It's not cool trash talking. <laughs> Obviously uh, a very well-deserved bid to see if he can get to Springfield, but I don't know. The pooping the pants pooping story the pants. is just stuff of legends, you know, like when I think he was on the jump or something or with whichever crew he was on with pregame where he admitted, like, I have a confession to make, like I had to go to the bathroom. And I remember when that came up on the desk and we had to write it up and I won't name the Nesson intern, but the, the former Nesson intern had no clue about this story or that that was like he potentially pooped his pants and that's why he had to get like carted off the floor in a wheelchair and that's the first time in a while where I was like wow I'm old I've been very online for a long time yeah yeah and one more sneaky great Paul Pierce moment just to wrap include or include both Pierce and all-star talk was when he was sitting courtside at the all-star game with two phones just like <laughs> I mean, that was just an iconic image of him recording, like why he thought he needed to, but it's Paul Pierce, like one of the coolest players ever. So I didn't question it at all. I was, I'm sure it made sense. And the, oh, the I call so game, I call game was funny too. Yeah. Just the way he said it was hilarious, but yeah, Paul Pierce, good player. <laughs> what a guy. 
All right. Well, that is our show. We're going to enjoy the rest of this all-star break here before we get right back into it with the Nets, the Rockets, Utah, all after the break. So uh, we will see you guys then. Until then, be sure to subscribe to the show. Uh, leave us a rating, some comments, and some reviews. Those are all super helpful. And we'll see you next time. Cool. See you, everybody. Bye.